You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. My dear friends, my beautiful disruptors, my closest inner circle. We could all use a moment of normalcy, and so you are cordially invited for a long weekend on my private island. Where we will celebrate the bonds that connect us, and I hope your puzzle-solving skills are whetted. Because you will also be competing to solve the mystery of my murder. Travel details to come. Please forward any dietary restrictions. Love and all my kisses, Miles. In 2019, writer, director, and producer Ryan Johnson captured the world's attention with his witty, star-studded whodunit, Knives Out. Now, after months of anticipation, his follow-up, Glass Onion is finally on Netflix. Over the past few months, I've sat down with Ryan and cast members Daniel Craig, Janelle Monet, Edward Norton, and Kate Hudson to hear about their experiences working on Glass Onion. Today, we're melding together those conversations to get a behind-the-scenes look at the perspectives from just a handful of the many incredible people responsible for its creation. We'll start off by hearing from Ryan, whose road to creating Glass Onion began many years ago. The whole thing started with Agatha Christie. When I was a kid, I know there were always Agatha Christie paperbacks on the shelf. Uh, and at, at my parents' home and my grandparents' home, it felt like kind of the first... Uh, adult book that I would pick off the shelf as a kid and start reading. And then, of course, the Christie adaptations I was watching when I was a kid, it started just with the idea of uh, of a whodunit and wanting to approach that genre. But for a while, it was largely Christie adaptations, a lot of mm-hmm. which were great, and I love Christie, but the, the thing was they tended to be period pieces set in England. I watch all of those, and I absolutely love them. At the same time, it felt like, okay... When Christie was writing those, she wasn't writing these quaint little things set in the past. She wasn't writing little nostalgic things. She wasn't writing things that were contained and out of our world. She was writing to her time, and she was writing in the moment, and she was engaging with her current culture. And so the idea of doing what she did then in terms of let's write a whodunit that takes place in America right now, and let's engage with what's happening right now, Um, You know, not that these are huge social message or huge political or cultural movies, whatever. They're largely whodunits and they're they're mostly entertainments. But just like Christie did, they're also engaged with uh, America in -hmm. this case, you know, the Mm -hmm. 2020s. Ryan Johnson's decision to transpose the classic whodunit genre into a modern context helped determine the tone, setting and style of Knives Out but he would need a lead character that could shoulder the weight of what would inevitably become a huge ensemble piece. The solution was Benoit Blanc, an incredibly clever and somewhat eccentric detective who would sit at the center of Ryan's mystery. When I started writing the Benoit Blanc character, I think I kind of screwed myself up because I started wanting to create, I have to create a Poirot, I have to create a Sherlock, I need quirks. And so I started loading him up with all these quirks and um, he just kind of became a ridiculous kind of like, I was like, what if he had a monocle? What if he had an iPad? What if he had different colored eyes? And finally I was like, okay, I, I kind of threw out, I said, okay, you know what? I'm not going to try and create a character on the page beyond what his actions are in the mystery. 
And so the only thing I gave him was, I think I called it like a light Southern drawl. Mm -hmm. And then I just wrote to the, his function in the story and kind of thought, okay, when I find whoever's going to play this, then we'll work together and we'll kind of create the character. That actor was Daniel Craig. He wrote two lines of stage direction in the first script, which was basically something about a southern accent and a, a lilting southern accent. And I, I, I pointed at it and went, you sure? And he went, yes. And I said, OK. And this is, that's what came out of it. With Daniel, that's very much what happened. It wasn't like we changed the dialogue or changed the script or anything, but just Daniel inhabiting that role and bringing kind of his vibe to it instantly brought it to life and no eye patch required, thank God. While working on Knives Out, Ryan and Daniel discussed the idea of making a follow-up, but it all depended on the audience's response to the first film. Luckily for them, and us, Knives Out was a huge success, both critically and financially, and received an Academy Award nomination for Best Original Screenplay. Soon, Ryan found himself working on the second film in his Knives Out series, Glass Onion. Ryan writes the script, I read the script, I laugh, I go, let's do it. It's amazing the amount that he works on this character and what he puts in to be prepared when he steps onto set. Having glimpsed behind the curtain, he makes it look really easy. And it, he is having a tremendous amount of fun, but he's also just a phenomenally skilled actor who just has this incredible toolbox of skills and works, works his ass off at it. I just trust him and trust his taste, I trust his instincts, I trust that he's going to want to elevate what we did last time, that he's not going to want to sit back on any, any laurels that we may have or may not have got. He's going to want to push it and he's going to find a way to give an audience who, uh, an audience that we found for the last one, which was a, you know, it was, a, it was a huge surprise to us. I mean, we knew that we'd made something that we liked, but not necessarily that everybody else would like. And that when it was a success, that it, and we had, you know, a wonderful chance to make a, another one, that we had to kind of up the ante. He wouldn't have it any other way, and neither would I. Upping the ante was exactly Ryan's intention. Glass Onion finds the intrepid detective at a lavish private estate on a Greek island, ready to peel back the layers of yet another set of perplexing circumstances. This time, he's surrounded by an entirely new set of colorful characters, each with their own secrets and motivations. Just like when he had originally penned Blanc's character, Ryan chose to write each new role without any specific actor in mind. I have to say, incredibly rarely will I write for like a specific actor because I've learned that inevitably if you do that, unless you're like very good friends with the person already, you don't end up getting who you want for whatever reason yeah. and then and then your heart's broken. So no, I, I tend to just write to the character and then figure out, okay, who can play this? And to the point where it was actually a real challenge with this one, this is the first time I've ever written not only with an actor in a part, but also with an established character mm -hmm. I found I had to in a way kind of flush sort of my memory now from watching Knives Out a thousand times and making it of Daniel out of my head so I didn't start writing a caricature of Benoit Blanc mm -hmm. just because I had his voice in my head already but no you just I just wrote the story wrote the characters and then and then started thinking okay who would be fun in these parts when the time came to cast Ryan assembled a stunning group of actors who could breathe life into the roles he'd written Daniel's confidence in Ryan and his eagerness to jump on board Glass Onion was mirrored by the rest of his castmates. 
Edward Norton, who for a while had been looking for an opportunity to work with Johnson, takes on the role of tech billionaire Miles Braun. The result is a perfect match between actor and character. Alongside and underneath the parte, you've been charged with a serious task. Because tonight, in this very room, a murder will be committed. My murder. You will have to closely observe the crime. Consider what you know about each other. Know that across the island, I've hidden clues. Some may be helpful, some may misdirect. That's for you to determine. But if anyone can name the killer, tell me how they achieved the murder, and most importantly, what was the motive? That person wins our game. Any questions? Uh, wait, what do we win? I, what do you mean, what do you, what do you, what do you want? No, no, nothing. I just, I, I just thought maybe there was a prize or something. I, I, an iPad or like. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, no, no, the winner gets an iPad. My two abiding reasons for doing this film would be like Ryan Johnson and Ryan Johnson. Mm -hmm. He's just, you know, like I, I love, I love Ryan's stuff. I've always loved it. I loved Brick. Mm -hmm. I met him in New York somewhere not long after Brick, and I remember where we had coffee. I mean, I'm talking like 23 yeah. years ago or something. We talked about noir films. Everything he's done, it just has everything I love about. It's precise. It's got pre it's precision. It's smart. It's visually terrific, and I I just hoped, you know, I hoped uh, something would come along because he was in the category of, for me, people that it was almost like a, a, a sight unseen yes to me. It's like if Ryan rings up and says, hey, I was thinking, I'd be like, I I'm in, you know what I mean? Like, just to, just to do one, just to get inside the Swiss clock of the way he does stuff, and and I don't feel that way about um, about, you know, reams and reams of people like that so i was i was completely delighted i was i was on the other side of the world when he called me and i and i just like you know immediately was like okay when is this going to be janelle monet who takes on the role of cassandra andy brand was drawn to ryan's previous work in the sci-fi space a genre in which she has explored herself extensively as a musician and writer can you spot the other thing the real thing this group has in common. Andy, come on. Oh, Lionel. Everybody knows who Lionel works for. That's no secret. And we know who bankrolled Claire's campaign. But when nobody, nobody would touch Bertie with a 10-foot pole because she went on Oprah and compared herself to Harriet Tubman. And spirit. Who do you think showed up as an angel investor in Sweetie Pants, huh? And Duke, when Duke got banned from Twitch for hawking rhino horn boner pills to teenage boys. With zero rhino on those pills. Who do you think set them up at YouTube and used their media empire to promote the stream? That is the common thread here. Every single one of you is holding on for dear life to Miles Bryan's golden titties. And each of you, you'll stab a friend in the back to hold on. I had wanted to work with Ryan Johnson for many moons. I came in on uh, his film Looper, 
And I'm a big sci-fi nerd, and I just felt like Ryan was doing something very innovative in that space. And so I went down this rabbit hole of just watching everything he had done from Brick to, you know, obviously I'd seen the Star Wars stuff. I'd seen um, the original Knives Out, and I was a fan of that. And, and, and I sort of said yes in my mind already before reading the script. <laughs> that it's a yes. If Ryan Johnson reaches out to me, it's a hell yes. Like I'm sitting on my couch, you know, eating potato chips and sweatpants. Um, and Ryan Johnson, you know, I think is one of those directors and writers that just gets it. You know, he gets tone, he gets um, characters, he gets world building. The role of Birdie J, the model turned fashion mogul, went to Kate Hudson, who elevated Bertie's outrageous and glamorous personality. The rest of the ensemble was filled out by Katherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Jessica Henwick, Madeline Klein, and Dave Batista. Lionel, you are too sexy to be a scientist. And Claire, you look so cute. Thanks, Bird. You really try. I like that. You really make an effort. Well, I figured. Grease. And no mass? I can breathe again. Look at this pool. I think I'll go for a swim. Maybe I'll lay out for a bit. You know, you kind of fell in love with Birdie reading the script because on the page she was just as vibrant and as hilarious as she ended up, which was really fun for me to see come to fruition. When I read Birdie, I think that was the first, it's the first thing I talked to Ryan about was that I I saw her physicality immediately. So like, I mean, I, I love to dance. And when I was younger, I trained as a dancer, even though I wish, I, I wish, I'm definitely not a dancer anymore. But that was the first thing for me. I was like, oh my God, the her body language, like, it felt like a dance to me. Like, I felt like I could just move into that body. And I thought, you know, that's something that, you know, you want to feel as organic as possible. And I knew I could bring that to Birdie. And I I said that to Ryan, like, I just can see the, I can feel the walk. And, um, yeah, that, that was, that was really fun for me to, to play with. Even how tactile she is and everything to me was like, you know, a movement for Birdie. In addition to working on character development with Ryan, the cast also worked closely with costume designer Jenny Egan to nail down their character's individual look and style. Jenny Egan is our costume designer, who I've worked with quite a few times, who I adore and is a genius. You know, I go to Jenny and I sort of pull photographs out. I just, you know, my reference point, two reference points were this, were to catch a thief and, and, and Jacques Tati. Um, and I just sort of showed her, and I just said, what do you think? And she just riffed on it. Jenny Egan, like, I think might be the MVP on the whole film. Yeah. Like, the costumes are so funny. But uh, we we had the funniest thing, too. Like, you know, without naming names, like, there'd be this and that person in the headlines, and I would just screenshot things and send them to her and go, those pants. And she would screenshot something and send, say, like, you know, what about this? What about that? And it was it was it was a lot of fun. And walking into her fitting room was like, you know, it's like why you get into wanting to become an actor. You know, I walked into that fitting room and I just saw Birdie everywhere. 
the silhouettes and the fabrics and the glitter and the prints. I feel like it's not very often that you get to sort of create these avatars of a character. You know, this you could feel that like each person has an iconic feeling about them in the costume. And that's what Jenny is trying to kind of create to help us get into these characters. And getting into that costume was like, I don't know how you can't get right into character. I feel like I can speak for everybody on that, that everyone had that feeling and experience with with Jenny. And also collaborative. I mean, I brought in my friends. We did some custom jewelry, which was so great. And also maybe not the smartest thing because we're like on a beach. We didn't even think like we're like, oh, we'll take all this fine jewelry. (laughs) (laughs) to a beach you know and I'm running in these like opal gold earrings and Jenny's like don't lose the earring by the time shooting came around meticulous attention had been paid into ensuring Glass Onion's production was a success remember this was filmed in the height of COVID however Ryan knew that despite his endless preparation many decisions would require him to rely on gut instinct You've got your beautiful script, it seems perfect, and then you put it on its feet with actors, and on the day, you can't just say it's perfect on the page, so that's how it has to be. You, it has to feel right when it's on its feet. And if it doesn't, you got to adjust. Imagine, like, Napoleon with his generals, like, in a big French, like, boardroom, like, with a maps laid out on the table and all their wooden tanks making all their plans and looking zoomed back at the battlefield and saying, oh, yeah, we move this here, this here, and then we flank here and this will work. And then you get on the battlefield and you do pretty much do that, but you have to adjust and just kind of survive the day. That happens from outlining to writing and that happens then from writing to production and then that happens from production to editing. When you're filming, the thing that probably changes the least is when there's a complex sequence that has a bunch of little pieces that you have to shoot separately that then have to fit together. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, it helps to be really precise. It helps to be storyboarded. It helps to know exactly what you're getting and what the function of each piece is and why. I would say the things that end up changing more on the day are when you have an actual long scene Mm -hmm. that the actors dig into and there's dynamics between them that are playing off Mm -hmm. and there's blocking that you're figuring out on the day. Um, And that's more when you end up playing. But uh, for some of these big set pieces that, that are really fun in the movie, it is a little bit more like like carving gears that need to fit right. together. So you got to be a little more precise. Yeah. The first leg of filming took place across a few key locations in Greece. One of them, at the Amanzoi Resort, was the sprawling Villa 20, which served as Miles Braun's luxurious compound. The first day, I walked from my house down to a beach, onto a dock, into a water taxi. And that was my transportation to set. I was like, this is the best movie ever. I mean, it was five in the morning. The ocean was like glass. It was so beautiful. It was hot. And I was like, what is, this is going to be really fun. And the grease part was insane. It felt like... We were all in this sort of big theater troupe ensemble for the summer, and we didn't we didn't want our parents to come back and pick us up. Later on, filming moved to the capital of Serbia, Belgrade, where the entire cast stayed together in one hotel. 
It was a COVID movie, although we were in a lull and it wasn't sort of as, you know, we went right, everybody was vaccinated and it was sort of a little more relaxed than it had been on making movies over the past couple of years. But we were still, the advice was, could we sort of not go out and have dinner and, you know, go to too many restaurants and can we try and, you know. So my first instinct when we got to Greece was like, you know, I'd, I'd rented this house and I organized a party and I just wanted to get the cast together and they did and they all stayed quite late and we had got that going and then we made plans. We were all staying in a hotel in Serbia, in one hotel, the whole cast were and they were very kind to us and sort of gave us the restaurant on the roof and Saturday nights we organized a... Uh, uh, we played Mafia, which is a game I... Do you, have you ever played that? Janelle somehow found or, or carries with her a top hat and a cape it, when she walked into this mafia night with that cape on, I, I literally was like, now she either went out in Serbia and found this, which I don't know, there's no way, or she she packs, she packs with a cape and a top hat, which to me is like, makes me love her. Mm -hmm. Let's go. She's, she's ready for any occasion. <laughs> Janelle sort of, she had... I mean, I don't. She must have travelled with costumes, but she came fully dressed up, with a deer stalker and a pipe, and a, and, a, and it was very much part of what happens on was happening on set, which was that we trusted each other and we had fun together. I am fully committed to to murder mystery parties. I have them with my friends and family around the holidays, just a random Tuesday. And I, I may or may not travel with a suitcase full of mustaches and beards and top hats and canes, just fully ready to be the murderer in the murder mystery game. But I always get the villager. Always. I think we had a couple pretty good players. I mean, Janelle is great. Although Janelle did keep thinking everyone was mafia and was all pretty much always. <laughs> I think she just liked the drama yeah. of being like, and you a mafia. Usually it wasn't. Edward was very good. Leslie Odom Jr. Don't sleep on Leslie. He's he's a bit of a shark when it comes to mafia. He's also a great host. So he hosts the game really well. Daniel is probably the least. I mean, it's very complicated and it doesn't really go with drinking as far as... I suppose it does go with drinking because it's so complicated. It's like sort of like playing complicated poker. The drunker you get, the more fun it gets. He was like, I don't fucking know. Yeah. You know, like, I'm like, but Daniel, that's not how the game works. Like, you gotta just play it. You gotta... <laughs> just, I mean, anybody, does anybody look suspicious? He's like, no. You know, <laughs> okay. Just you well, drink. Yeah. You have your drink, Daniel. Yeah, but Daniel was great when it turned into a dance party, I have to say. He we got we got down. I mean, Janelle would DJ and like what else are we gonna do but play mafia and then have a dance party. We we really do love each other. It it, it was a great I think I think Ryan understood. I think he knew we're such in tight quarters, we couldn't really play with anybody but each other. So he knew that we needed to be the kind of people that could connect and have a good time and mm -hmm. leave any ego elsewhere. And that's what happened. The camaraderie created by those late night mafia games and dance parties not only helped the cast bond, 
but it also elevated their on-screen performances. The film balances drama with plenty of comedic moments, and for Daniel and Edward, it gave them an opportunity to flex their improv skills. Something Ed and I were talking about earlier, which is that, you know, you never really know with comedy. You kind of, you're, I mean, give an actor enough rope, they will hang themselves. How far to push it? And with Ryan, you're in very safe hands because he'll say no too much or he'll say go for it. I feel like Daniel does some, he does some physical humor in this mm -hmm. that's like, it's really, it's like Jacques Tati mm -hmm. kind of. And we had one moment that I particularly got a kick out of where it's the moment where my character becomes certain that the murderer is coming for him. Right, right. And he really loses his shit and runs to Blanc mm -hmm. for, for help. And we, we, we didn't really talk about it, but we got this thing going where sounds are making me flip around and I, I grabbed him from behind around the waist. Mm -hmm. and, and Daniel did this thing. We, we got one of those things going where he, he's looking over one shoulder and I go the other way and he goes that way and I go the other way and he spins me and mm -hmm. slaps me. And it was just one of those moments where it sort of felt like there was some sort of physical activity that we needed to sort of, that, that could fall on its face and not be funny. But it sort of suddenly, it was just, we were, we'd been working long enough with each other at that point to sort of trust each other. And we just sort of went for it. And it was just great to do. It's a little kind of tiny bit of slapstick. It was like Charlie Chaplin-ish, you know, it was like this, like, it was a kind of physical comedy that, that you don't, you don't really get the crack at anymore and it was it, he was so damn good at it and really 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 funny it was it was it was a hoot the whole thing was just a hoot another key character dynamic is between Janelle's Andy Brand and Daniel's Benoit Blanc their on-screen relationship and chemistry carries the audience through many of the film's best twists and turns so it was important for both actors to get acquainted off screen well, first off, we were just incredibly fortunate to get her, get her to play this. So I'm just over the moon the way this has worked out. You want to show up for Ryan and you want to show up for your castmates. And for me, I had a lot of heavy lifting to do. So I, I you know, I turned my phone off. Um, I just tell friends and family, hey, here's when I can talk. But like I, 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 I fully surrendered um, to this role and to this part. And I've got on, laughed a lot, and just had fun. Janelle's just magic. I mean, she just, I mean, you know, I mean, it's a sort of cliche to say lights up the screen, but that's what she does. I saw him a few times have on an actual Walkman, like not Apple headphones, like a 90s, 2000s Walkman cassette listening to songs. And I was like, what is going on? Like, why is he, he's about to do like one of these big scenes where he's about to, you know, go in and do that Benoit Blanc thing. And he has this music on and he's rocking out. And I asked him after, you know, I, I, after we had, we had rapped and I was like, I noticed you had those headphones on. What, what was that all about? He, he said that he could not, he was having such a great time that for him, keeping the headphones on, staying in the, the music world was like a way to be focused so that he could remember what he had to do on screen and to and and to kind of keep him in that Benoit Blanc character. And I thought that was so like that process of just seeing, you know, everybody works differently, but like he used the music to kind of stay focused. Benoit Blanc walks around with a Walkman um, <laughs> on, on set, which I love. I think it's cool. 
Throughout all the conversations I've had with the Glass Onion cast, the thing that came up time and time again was the love and admiration each actor felt not only for each other, but for their director, Ryan Johnson. I felt really honored to be a part of it, you know. I kind of put Ryan in a category of one of the great directors working right now, and working with him never felt like that. I never felt intimidated by him in any way. I felt like he he was so warm and gracious. It was like he wanted us to, you know, be center stage. There was nothing about Ryan that ate up any air in the room. He only, like, brought more oxygen and I just loved him what Ryan does is take the conventions of the form and then he and then he makes it in the now with my character and Janelle's character in particular he stuck a fork into dynamics that we're seeing out there today a certain class of tech illuminati we're seeing a certain species emerge in American Mm -hmm. life and we're also having conversations about appropriation and things. And these are all serious subjects, but he grabbed them and nested them inside this really frothy, hilarious um, thing in a way that I loved. I, I, and, 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 and from the minute I read the script, literally till this morning, Ryan and I have, we, we, we send each other magazine covers or articles and we keep saying, see, it's everywhere. This, this idea of disruption and this idea of of the way that certain types of people take credit away from other yeah. types of people. And I, I, lo- I loved that without making it heady, without making it preachy, he found a great satirical way to lace the moment that we're living in in through this delightful and, and comedic mystery. And that's, that's hard. You have to be really pitch perfect to get to do this kind of movie, have it be entertaining but have it be entertaining the more so because it has just a little sauce, a little zest of the zeitgeist. I'm grateful for everything I've done prior to doing this film because I don't think I would have been prepared, you know, had the tools to be able to to go from all those different energies um, that my character had to possess. And I'm just so happy and honored and thankful that Ryan trusted me with this role. But it's the kind of role you just you dream of, you know, every artist wants to show their range. Every artist wants to be challenged. And I was challenged in the best possible way. I watched this film by myself in a small theater alone. And I, (laughs) I was just in that theater by myself laughing hysterically. I didn't see Janelle Monae in this role. I, I, I didn't, I just saw the characters that Ryan had created and they were better. They were actually better than what was on the page. Like, I think he assembled, like, the best of the best. Everybody was destined to do these roles. It's his genius. I mean, I put him up there with Ashby and Altman in that sense, is that his, his ability to wrangle lots of big names and egos is unusual. I want to work with people like that as long as I can. It's always special to bring together such an incredibly talented, hardworking, passionate group of people. But to have them mesh so well was a triumph that even Ryan himself could not have anticipated. In a film of this epic proportion, the performances could easily be outshined by magnificent locations, giant set pieces, and the plot itself. However, the characters we meet and their irresistible antics are the true gems of Glass Onion, keeping us glued to the screen until the very last moment. Glass Onion, a Knives Out Mystery, is streaming now on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. 
Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Riccio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueUE.com. Netflix,